Welcome. Another episode, Dr. James Beckett Sports Card Insights. Thanks, sponsors, Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication, ComC.com, Burbank Sports Cards, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Heritage Auctions, Huggins and Scott Auctions, Tops, Penny, and Upper Deck. Great sponsors, patronize those. While I've got uh, Ben Wilson here, it's good to say that there are other, there are several other uh, outstanding podcasts that I listen to, including about the cards. So, uh, Ben, um, we had an origin issue uh, a little while ago, uh, but today this is kind of anything goes, uh, dueling questions format that, uh, that I've done a couple times now. And it's, it's, it's uh, a little more dynamic. It's kind of like hobby hotline where, where uh, Ben and I were, uh, uh, both on Ben was one of the hosts. I was a guest, but as I pointed out, I didn't really get to ask questions. They were asking the questions. So the fairness of dueling questions back and forth, Ben gets to go first. Ask me a question. I'll try to answer reasonably succinctly, and then it's my turn, and we'll go back and forth. So welcome, Ben. Thanks for your service to the industry, and welcome to the show, and hit me with your first question. Sure. Thank you once again, Jim. I really appreciate being invited on. Um, when when Beckett was big in the 80s, it was extremely important for us to have a price guide to know the valuation of each card. Speed up. Now we're in 2020. Everybody's got access to all different ways of finding out uh, in real time the fluidity of a card's market. Um, can Beckett in print and online, can they keep up and, and do, does the hobby really need a, a price guide like we had, like we currently have with them in today's market? I don't want to be misquoted here, but it's, it's impossible for a person, uh, no matter how talented to completely keep up. Uh, it's, it's the, the data is so massive now. So there has to be some aspect of, uh, uh, you know, the, the data that's out there for the, for the really expensive cards, I think uh, lots of different people besides just the Beckett media people are trying to get a handle on what they're going for, but some of the cheaper card, just, it's really hard to keep track of, of, of what's going on. Uh, what I've encouraged people to do in this, uh, this uh, shelter in at home situation is branch out. And uh, if you're trying to get some sense of whether something's a good deal or not, uh, you, you ought to, try to explore, you know, in the old days, I think it was simpler. You just could look in our price guide and we had a pretty strong market share and you could have been done say in 86 when you got started. Sure. Nowadays people are checking out eBay. They may, uh, uh, you know, heritage auctions has their own, uh, uh research uh, situation. PWCC has uh, research of theirs. Uh, I said, com C eBay, uh, you know, Beckett, you know, Rob Ferris, there's, there's any number of selling prices and buying prices. And I've encouraged people to, to use this time at home to, to explore different selling platforms and try to get a handle on these other ways that cards are priced to get an understanding. Even the uh, uh, SMR, you know, which is not my, it was, was not our thing, but there's different ways to get prices on grading. You need to know if those, uh, those listings are considered to be conservative or conservative or considered to be more liberal. I mean, again, you're the economist. It's, I just think more data is, is good, but, there's too much data now and you can't, sure. you can't, you can't go to a show and then look up cards one at a time, unless you're looking for really expensive cards. You've got to have a sense of, is this a, is that, am I way over paying here? Or is this a steal? Okay. Tough question, Ben. Let's see. Uh, what is, I, I've got a bunch of sponsors and I list them out every time and I don't really go into it a great deal, but I talk to them on some level uh, over uh, when I contact them, and I don't know that I have a whole lot of influence anymore in the industry. But if you were me, 
what kind of uh, feedback would you give to uh, some, uh, an individual or a group of uh, the sponsors that I have? I have these three card companies that all have kind of monopolistic uh, single sport licenses. I've got a couple of really good uh, auction companies, a couple of card stores, and then Comsi, and then the uh, the Beckett Media entity. So uh, is there anything you'd want, any, any burr, uh, you know, in uh, something you think they ought to fix or that could be approved or you'd like to put on the table? If, if I, you know, we, we don't have sponsors on our podcast because we don't want to be seen as, you know, you know, a shill. You know, we want to be able to speak openly and freely about what they're doing great, which we we do, um, but also things that we're. That's why I'm asking you the question. So yeah. And, and, I'm not happy with my sponsors. No, I am happy with my sponsors, but right. they're not perfect. And I'd rather hear it from, right. from your perspective. What What's something they could do better or that they're not seeing? You, you know, really, really, it, without being in a conference room with them, I don't know. I, you know, I can't speak for what they do and don't do. I know that their interaction, specifically on social media, is limited. I know that all of the companies have it. I, I think Upper Deck is fantastic. Um, I, I've had a lot of conversations. You see them very active, um, but, but Tops and Panini, not as much. I think, you know, they could be retweeting hits because really they're, they're you know, promoting their own product. Yes. Um, I could see them not necessarily wanting to, you know, if, if I say I just got this great new Tops card and I show it to them, if they were to retweet it, is that seen as endorsing my Twitter timeline? And and maybe they don't want to be affiliated with that. Um, I, I spoke with one of their, their previous employees and she's like, I never really saw it that way. If I saw something I liked, I retweeted it. And I think their customer engagement by and large, as a you know, as a whole, because it is an oligopoly, um, they do have you know the exclusive licenses, but there's only a handful of companies. It's not like you and I can decide tomorrow that we're going to go start making cards out of our our houses, and you know it's just it's the auto industry, it's the soda industry. There there's oligopolies all around us, and uh, you know I think that the customer engagement, asking us, you know they don't have to listen, but having the pulse of the collector, I think is either not a concern to them by and large, or it, it's just an afterthought. And I think it's extreme. I know they do things at the national day question and answers. Uh, but I, I think that if they were to listen a little bit more and a lot of it's going to be fluff, a lot of it's just going to be on complaining because that's what we do. Um, but there's some really good thoughts. Um, you know, Steph had one last night on our podcast about the turn back the clock, the tops. Now, you know, if you go to a 1996 memory, why not do it on a 1996 card? It's a good thought. So you know, I just think they should be a little bit more engaged. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I think they could. Uh, they, they, I hope they'll receive that. I mean, basically, if if you throw uh, some good ideas at them, they, I hope they'll take them under advisement. And that's part of the power of uh, the digital uh, media that uh, anybody can grab a microphone. But you know, you guys have uh, you know kind of stood the test of time, and you're and and you have a following. I hope that uh, I hope they're I hope they're listening. You know, when I talk to the different people at the different uh, each of the companies, I've had them on, and they they they're not trying to mess up or anything. It's just they're, sure. A lot of noise out there, and I don't regard your podcast as noise. I regard it as a you know a clear voice, but they're you know hopefully just you know the the voices of of reason and helpful voices will emerge, and the, and then uh, you know if Upper Deck's doing a good job, that's one place where you would want the other companies to copy. If they're right, exactly a job on customer service, then go ahead and copy away. So, um, okay, your turn. Your turn for sure. When uh, when we are we going to see Doctor Beckett on Twitter? Well, I don't know. It's 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 2020. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be this century, Ben. <laughs> Unless I actually, I, mean, I don't. Uh, the thing I don't like about Twitter is the reason everybody else likes it. It's 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 uh, it's very timely, and it's it seems like um, 
you can kind of take on a life of its own. I, I, uh, I, I'm very deadline oriented. Sure. So I have no trouble having a podcast every day and it's 15 minutes and I had deadlines every week for a different sport and I'd never really missed, but, uh, Twitter, I don't know what the deadlines are. It just seems like you always on. And so I will, um, well, I've got a month. <laughs> I can't do anything except in this office. So I will consider it. And, uh, you know, you can, um, you know, we, we can talk about that offline because I think I, I just, I can't see how I'd be adding value. Uh, my podcast is more on the, on the, uh, on more reminiscences and uh, talking with other people about what's going on. Whereas the Twitter just would seem pretentious for me. Cause I've, I've gotcha. been Okay. That was okay. Next question for you, excluding your own podcast and excluding hobby hotline and excluding this sports card insights that I'm doing, who else is doing a podcast that you think is a must listen? What are the, what are the, uh, another podcast or two out there that you really enjoy and not that you're going to copy them, but that you think, wow, this, I really like what this podcaster is doing. Because there's, there's a bunch coming out, and I think a bunch of them are, but what in particular has stood out as being one yeah. of the pioneers? You know, I, I love a good friend of mine, uh, you know, I consider him like a brother, is Drew Herndon's Let Me Get That Podograph. Um, there's been a few times where he'll text me and go, hey, did you listen to the show? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, what'd you think? And I'm like, we cover the same topic. And you ask the questions, you cover the topic the way we should have on certain things. And that's a credit to the people that he knows, the information that he's able to gather. Um, sometimes we just touch on it where he can go a little bit more in depth. And uh, you know, I, I love his, you know, he, he touches a wide array of topics as well, much like us, you know. Um, but, you know, he's got some great insight. I love uh, the hype, which is the guys, Dan and Doug over at Mojo Break. Um, we couldn't do what they do. And the reason it is, is because... The breakers. I do. Yeah. Drew is, is, I think he's kind of an investigative journalist. He he is. Oh yeah. You know, he's, he's talking, he's covered some really hard topics. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Doug and Dan touch everything. They see everything, they break everything. And, you know, their, their thoughts are very specific, but very poignant and, and very precise. And, and, uh, again, I love, you know, I, I call them, you know, really close friends as well. Um, so th- those are really the two that I try not to miss. The third would probably be somebody that's been featured on our show um, quite a few times. He's our pinch hitter. Um, you know, if one of us can't make it to a show, we call up Mike Summer, um, Wax Pack Hero. Yeah. And uh, well, again, there's uh, I didn't want you to list three because that that would fill up the the uh, the metal stand. You know, there are <laughs> others that you didn't mention that I really like. And, you know, John Newman is going to think, well, you you you. Uh, when were you going to get to me and Eric Norton? Same thing. So, uh, and there's a, there's a bunch of others, but uh, it's wonderful to have this embarrassment of riches to have so many it is. podcasts that we really enjoy and we look forward to getting. And, and most of them are once a week, and a lot of them have co-hosts. Sure, I think it's interesting, which I occasionally do. Uh, what was that? That was my question for you. That is correct. Do we have time for one more. Your your turn, and it's probably the last. Gotcha. So you you lived during the junk wax era, which you know, kind of cast a, a black mark just because of the name. It sounds like it's a bad era to have collected, but you were an industry industry leader at that time. <laughs> Are we in a current junk wax era of sorts, comparatively speaking to what was going on between say 86 and 93? Yeah. I, I know you're not blanking me for the, the, the quote unquote junk wax era, but I mean, basically, you know, it, it, it just happened. It, it's not like, right. people, you know, ran the presses, uh, you know, to, to, to flood the market. People said they wanted it. And that's the similarity to what happening until a few weeks ago is that uh, 
the uh, there were people out there begging the card companies to produce more product. And the difference is, I think, for the most part, there's a was a pretty high percentage of product being produced and opened. And that's thanks to the breakers. Okay, now what what's happening to all these uh, uh, base cards? I don't know. But that's that's frankly not much being figured out in value for a lot. I mean, I know you care about them. I care about base cards, but but uh, a lot of the uh, people now they're they're looking for the big hit. So so um, again, the availability of cards was so extreme, and so many card shops back in the day that you know again, I just the card companies they're capitalists. They they're it's it and and they had the the. It wasn't just the card companies, the the um, the players' associations, and the and the and the leagues, the teams. They, you know, the the more cards were printed up, the more they made. And sure. so everybody and and every so the problem is it got into the you know the the black tulip situation or whatever you, and, and it just it, it was unsupportable at that point. And uh, one of the silver linings of the COVID nineteen could be that the instead of the bubble uh, popping, it, uh, some air has been let out. And if that's the case, that'd be good because it's hard to go to your Walmart or wherever you're looking for cards besides your local card shop and try to pick up stuff. When there's no games being played, it, it, it's got to put a damper on uh, what was probably, to use one of your economic terms, some irrational exuberance uh, that, that I think had a little bit of overheat. So it's either going to be a massive correction or a, or a, um, or a, a, uh, a more reasonable correction. And if that happens, I think we'd both be happy about that. Don't Absolutely. Worry crash we're looking for something where people can get back to really enjoying the hobby and my sentiments are you know i think uh, the uh, my listeners know you know i appreciate that you're more of a collector uh actually you're completely a collector i guess not an investor at all and i try to be more balanced on that but uh that means you're in here for the enjoyment and i think that's that's terrific so uh thanks ben thanks listeners uh we went back and forth with some questions hope you found it interesting i did i'll get ben back on at another time and we'll talk about some uh, fancy uh, economic stuff, as well as his love of the all things A's. So, again, thanks, Ben. Thanks, listeners. Be back again tomorrow. Another episode. The man-